Welcome everybody to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and I pray that you are having a delightful day today. Okay, have you ever wondered what doing your taxes and changing diapers and all the mundane stuff that we do has, does it have any effect on our spiritual lives? Have you ever looked at the circumstances of your life and said, God, how the heck does this thing actually make me a saint? So in today's episode, we're tackling that question. How do we actually find holiness in the mundane tasks of ordinary life? Joining me on the show today to have this very rich and deep conversation is Dr. Tony Marco, Assistant Professor of Theology at Marion University's Encia College. In today's episode, we talk about the role of the laity in the church's mission, what it means to be leavened from within, and what it means to consecrate the world. How do we see the sacred in in the secular circumstances of our lives? Why the theological insights of Maximus to Confessor are relevant today? How we grow in holiness? And what God expects of the gifts he has given to us? As I said, we have a very rich and beautiful conversation that really just honors the importance of the lay vocation and the call that God has for each and every single one of us to make something beautiful of the lives that he has given to us. So... When the show is done, please head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and please, you know, leave a rating or write a review. If you have found this show helpful, then please share it with others because it will be helpful to others as well. So let's get into this conversation with Dr. Tony Marco. Dr. Tony Marco, that feels good to say that, man. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Welcome to the Always So Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here, and I'm I'm so thankful to you for uh, talking to me today. And I'm very excited about our topic. It's something that I'm really passionate about, and I think uh, the Lord has really put it on my heart to get these things out here and to encourage uh, the laity and to uh, bring us all into a place where we can serve the Lord where we are. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, uh, Dr. Marco, um, I'll call you Tony. Dr. Marco, Dr. Mario, this is great. We'll, we'll, we'll go back and forth. I'm just joking. Absolutely. <laughs> but Tony, Tony, uh, introduce yourself a little bit to the audience. Where, where, are you at? where are you teaching? Absolutely. So my name is uh, Dr. Tony Marco. I have to get used to that because I just got my PhD <laughs> about a year ago um, from Duquesne University. But since then, I have moved on to teach for uh, Mary University at their Ancilla campus in Plymouth, Indiana. And I teach theology there. I'm assistant professor of theology. Uh, and it's my blessing to be able to uh, take some of these insights and to uh, propose them to college students and, um, you know, interact with them and enter into conversation with them about those things. So it's, uh, I counted a great blessing to be able to uh, discuss theology uh, with people, especially those that don't really see it as something that is the center of their life to propose these things and to uh, walk with them as they encounter these truths. Amen. Well, I guess we should tell people that we've known each other since college also. So the, the, the audience is probably like, what a hack. This guy, all he does is get friends from college on, on his podcast. <laughs> I'm like, but they're great people. So, you know, that's not my fault. The Lord put me in, in, in a great environment at FSU those 20 years ago. So, uh, so grateful. So praise the Lord. All right, Tony. Well, um, let's talk about the laity. All right. In, yes. in the lay vocation. So I guess let's just start easy right there. Like how, how would you define the lay vocation? You know? Well, here's the thing. So the church classically has had a really difficult time doing this, right? Yes, it has, um, for sure. So uh, the difficulty has been, how do we come up with a definition of the laity that isn't everyone else? Um, so <laughs> we have um, the the clergy, so the bishops, um, priests, and deacons, and the religious. And it can be easy to point to them and say, uh, this is what they do. Um, uh, throughout the history of the church, uh, the laity, it's been a little more difficult. Um, thankfully, we live in a time when that idea of the lay vocation has been developed. The church mm-hmm. has put a much more 
pointed definition on who the laity are and what they are to do, especially in the Second Vatican Council. Uh, so uh, the document Lumen Gentium actually does a good job of defining all three of those roles, those vocations in the church. Um, so the clergy really get their identity from their sacred ministry. So what they do, they're presiding at the sacraments and their ministry to the people. The religious are an example to everyone. So they're living a life of holiness to the extreme, mm -hmm. right? So they have a witness to the world. So you can't look at a religious person, the vision is, and not see beyond them toward God. Well, what about the laity? Uh, the laity, again, how do you define that without saying, oh, they're not, they're not clergy, they're not um, religious. Well, they have a special character and that is the secular character of working in the world. So thankfully we live in a time where that's something that's honored. It's not something that says, and then now it's time for everyone else. It's actually uh, has a positive mission of bringing those realities that we experience that God wants to make manifest and bringing them into the world. So the lady are those men and women tasked with living the gospel in their everyday lives. Yeah, and I think that's important for us to see that. And, and, and I love the way you articulate, obviously, that the church has had a hard time defining this, and just like everybody else. And so it's almost like the special, the called, where those who were religious or or, or, or or clerical state, which again, is a particular vocation and it is a calling, absolutely right. for sure. And if that's a calling that God has for you as a young person in your life, then pursue that call to, to, to its fulfillment. But that there is a, a particular quality, I guess, or charism um, that is present also within the lay vocation. And, and the, the way that Lumen Gentium speaks about it is, it says, um, you know, that we have to be uh, leavened from within. And the way I always think about that is kind of like, our job is to be like the, the ninjas behind enemy lines, you know, like it's our job to, to be out there and to be infiltrating, you know, these, right. th these spaces. And uh, that might seem too uh, negative, I guess, but but rather it's it's the, the sense of leaven is like, it's the yeast that 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 raises uh, the bread, and so like if we are not in the marketplaces, if ca mm. faithful Catholics aren't in the various economies or political spaces or hospitals or law offices, um, then then I almost think of it like wouldn't we want faithful Catholics in each of those places? Right, like we should. Where name me name me a marketplace where we wouldn't want a faithful Catholic, you know, present right. and operating and bringing virtue in, in, a, in, a, in a mindset that's Christian, you know, into, mm. into that environment, even if they themselves are not preaching in a formal sense um, right. as, as somebody who is uh, a, a cleric or, or in a religious. Um, and so that mission, that task of being in those various spaces is, is precisely what the church says it's our responsibility to go and do. No, you're absolutely right. And let me let me take that image and run with it a little bit. So bringing up that image of the leaven, um, it's one of my favorite images from Lumen Gentium. Um, and I have my wife to thank for that because I, growing up and even in my adult life, I always thought as leaven is just something, another ingredient, right? Something that you put in. Um, it's good that it's there. You know, you listen to the Gospels and Jesus says, well, um, you know, um, of you hear about unleavened bread, avoid the leaven of the Pharisees. Well, it's just the stuff that gets in there, right? Um, well, leaven is a living thing. And if you're making bread and you don't do it right, you can kill the leaven. Um, and leaven actually, when it rises, it breathes air into the dough. It creates little <laughs> air pockets. Awesome. And that's what God has called the laity to do. Those air pockets aren't just air, those air are his spirit in his very life. So what God wants to do is in these marketplaces, in these places of learning, these places of commerce, just these mundane places, God wants us to breathe his very life there. He wants to live there in us. And that is the vocation of the laity. I think that image is so powerful that we can be bearers of God's spirit in those very particular circumstances. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it, it's almost, I don't want to say like it turns it on its head a little bit, but it, but it kind of does. I mean, I think it, it 
so often, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about young adults who are discerning, as we said before mm. we start recording, and people who are single and, and they want to give their life to Christ. They want to give their life to the Lord. And so maybe they do a couple years with Focus or a religious order volunteer organization, and then they go to grad school, and then it's like, well, I don't really know what the next step is. And so some of them are thinking about maybe, or maybe people who served in church ministry for seven, 10 years, and now they're in their 30s, and they have kids, and now they need to make a decision because their their job isn't paying them enough to be able to provide for their family, where there is certainly something specific about working in a formal kind of ministry setting mm. that makes it clear for you to be able to see, like, okay, God has called me to this. but. But so many of these individuals, not everybody should work for the church, and not everybody does work for the church in a formal sense or in a church-related apostolate ministry or something like that. But the vast majority of us should be and will be working in in each of these circumstances. Right. And so, I, you know, to, to think of it as like God's spirit, God's air being breathed into those environments through us is, is really beautiful, and it allows us Amen. to be able to see that God can call us into service in, in very particular ways, even in ways that aren't, quote unquote, overtly in the church. Mm. Is that right? Mm. That is absolutely right. And that is, uh, in my interpretation, what Lumen Gentium is trying to tell us. Uh, now, the difficulty is, after the council, people didn't really run with that message. Um, it was great that the lady now had some sort of definition, uh, but that thought that you're expressing that so many pe young people express, I experienced it as well. I did uh, campus ministry at the University of Central Florida for a number of years, and I had a similar dynamic um, emerge where people would sink their teeth into this life-giving thing that is growing in holiness and turning around and giving back and giving of themselves and they want to continue that well we as a church has done have done a very poor job of demonstrating how that can be out in the world or inviting them to do that out in their normal everyday circumstances and that's because after the council was over hmm. everyone turned and they looked and they said well who's in charge if we have the laity and we have the clergy what can the laity do that the clergy can also do and the, the emphasis became on conversation about proper ministry. What ministry can you do as a lay person? What ministry is proper to a priest? And it became a very internal conversation. And those things that need doing, in a sense, the very mission of the church to go into the world and to bring the gospel everywhere through uh, very overt and um also very um, ways where it gets ingrained in our very life got forgotten uh, in a sense. Um, and uh, it really became a conversation about, okay, well, who's at the altar? Who can teach this? Um, it's a I conversation that concerns 99, nine, excuse me, it's a conversation that concerns 1% of the church rather than the 99% um, that is out in the world. Yeah, that's right. Or, or I think also, that piece you're talking about in terms of the specific roles in terms of ministry. But what also happened, and, and this was a blessing, is that, excuse me, <clears throat> what also happened is that um, an explosion of kind of lay-led of formal ministries occurred you know, since the Vatican. So maybe there was the interpretation was, well, this is what the laity are supposed to do. And so you think mm. of marriage, min marriage encounters, I work for marriage ministry, um, even focus, we talked about them earlier, All, a lot of Steubenville conferences, a lot of these are emerged from like lay people being involved in the church and saying, well, this is what we can do in terms of this kind of apostle, which is wonderful and wonderful right. resources. But right. that's not exactly what Vatican II was saying. I mean, it was giving room for that for sure. Right. But Lumen Gentium is saying, while that's great, yes, we don't, we don't want clerics light. We have a specific role. And that role is get your doctorates, get your MDs, start your businesses, you know, run for politics, like right. be involved in 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 the in in those spheres of of common life, um, yes. and and that is really kind of where where the laity are, are really because that's a place where fundamentally, especially in today's day and age, where priests aren't allowed to go anymore, mm. or mm. religious aren't allowed to engage in many of those spaces anymore, um, and it is the laity, it is us who have the opportunity to be involved in those conversations and to be in those places. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. So I guess the question here is I'm thinking, and I know you have a particular theologian in mind who's going to answer this. So, so I'm kind of setting you up here a little bit. Absolutely. But, but so how then do we distinguish the secular from the sacred? You know, how do we define the secular world and the sacred world? And, uh, and how does, I guess, does Maximus the Confessor, I know is a big part in your, 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 your studies. Um, what does he teach us about this? And, and maybe we need to introduce him first before we even get to going into that conversation. Absolutely. And let me, let me set this up um, a little bit. Uh, so as we talk about the laity and the clergy and this internal conversation that the church has had um, since the council, I want to, I want to first affirm, absolutely lay ministers um, have been a, a true blessing to the church. And I never want to come off. Um, I was a lay minister for a while myself. I'm a lay minister right now. I, mean, I, said, I work for marriage um, ministry. Yeah, you know, so. and I, I never want to come off as, as uh, acting as though um, that's not important. However, Agreed. it is not what the majority of the lay uh, of the laity is called are called to do. Um, so where this discussion of secular, uh, secular and sacred come up is if we put all of our energies into being concerned with the sacred, well, then we've let that mission into the secular kind of fade into the background. Um, well, some people have asked, well, what kind of mission does the secular uh, need in this uh, age where we want to see God's presence everywhere. We want to be very affirming of God's grace everywhere. I encountered in um, the literature on the laity um, an attitude that would say, well, if, if God is present in the world, who are we to say that we can consecrate the world to God? So those, those definitions that Vatican II came up with in Lumen Gentium, they sound great. They're a great starting point but we need to new, move beyond them. And um, I highly disagree with this because I think that image of consecration is uh, an apt way of communicating that. And um, Well, let me interrupt I, you here for a second because yeah. I think it's important. That's that's the second key quote for me, at least when I think of Lumen Gentium. One is the level from within. And the right. second one with regards to how do we define the laity, it's that the role is to consecrate the world to God and that we do this primarily through our our priest, prophet, and king from our baptismal, you know, kind of promises and the, the, the common priesthood that we're all part of through our baptism is what gives us the capacity to be able to consecrate the spaces that we're in. But the question yes. that you ask is, is a good one and, a, and, and I'm eager to hear what you have to say about it, which is if, if, the, if the world is given by God, how do you mm. consecrate something that is already holy? And so Absolutely. How, do you, how, how do you... If, if heaven and earth are full of his glory, this is a question I have, and I want to maybe ask it later. Right. We can talk about this. You know, we say this always in the, in the sanctus, the holy, holy, holy. We say every mass, you know, heaven and earth are full of the glory. I'm like, I don't see earth being full of his glory. We'll be honest. I'd be sure. like, sure. maybe that's my lack of faith. But but there are days where, man, I hear so many stories, you know, in counseling or challenges that I experience in my life. And I'm like, man, Lord, I don't know if you're here, you know. So, Absolutely. so help me, help me, help me tease this out, Tony. Absolutely. And, and I think returning to what you were talking about in uh, Lumen Gentium 34 is where that definition of um, the, the, uh, the laity are to consecrate the world to God. Well, there are particular things that are to be consecrated uh, to God. So uh, I've got a list of them here pulled from there. Um, so we have to offer our works our prayers, our apostolic endeavors, our ordinary married and family life, our daily occupations, our physical and mental relaxation, and also our hardships. So all these things, you can see the good and the bad mixed in there, right? Um, so you have those places where God is obviously present. Our apostolic endeavors, we're supposed to consecrate those to God. Our um, married and family life, there, sure, there are times where um, it seems like grace is so present, it becomes palpable, and other times where there's a real emptiness um, when we think of those situations. So, uh, yes, glory is there. Well, how do we how do we turn and consecrate that to God? Well, this is, uh, you're right to bring up Maximus, because this is where I bring him into the conversation, uh, in that he has a vision of the world that helps us see how even good things can be consecrated to God. And the bottom floor of this, the <laughs> easiest way to say this is it's through a free exchange of gifts. So think of it this way. God gives us creation, right? Creation is good. In Genesis, we read it over and over again. Everything God makes, 
he calls it good, 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 good. At the end, he says, this is very good. Uh, well, Maximus affirms that to no end. In fact, he defended the goodness of creation against um, other people of his time who said that creation was only made because of some primordial sin. Um, there was something bad that happened that caused us to move out of the spiritual and enter the physical. He says, no, that is certainly not the case. God creates out of a free act of of love. And it's worth, I'm sorry to interrupt you, it, but it's worth saying that Maximus lived in this early 7th century. So Yeah, he lived in the early 7th century. Absolutely. Yeah, 580 um, to 662 or something like that is what Wikipedia yes. told me before I did Yeah, the absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So um, that's where those so debates he, were happening, but keep going. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. And, I, and I'd love to uh, share a little bit about him as we go here. But the bottom line is he is about this free exchange of gifts. So God gives creation freely and we as humanity receive it as a gift. Now this says something about the nature of gift, right? Because is a gift a gift if you don't relinquish it to the other person? Now, Mario, I'm going to give this to you, but I don't trust you. I want you to use it in the exact way that um, I want you to use it. I don't want you to use any of your freedom um, because your freedom might steer it off into um, uh, a, a bad direction. Uh, hey, watch I, out, I mean, man. It's my podcast. What are you saying? Come on. <laughs> well, I mean, let's let's take, for example, we, we had a conversation uh, before we started recording about, um, you know, teenagers, yep. right? So um, if you were to offer a freedom to a teenager, sure, there might be some guardrails in place. There might be some protections. But if you were to follow them around, um, here, take the car for the evening, but I'm going to be right on your tail and I'm going to be everywhere that you are. Is that going to be experienced as freedom? No, of course not. No. Now, Definitively that, not. Uh, God is everywhere that we are. But when he hands creation to us, he hands it as a true free gift. And he calls us, he invites us, he desires us to offer it back to him in a free response. Mm -hmm. And when God receives that free response, he receives it as we give it. So the laity, as we go out into the world and we encounter things, we encounter prayer, hardships, um, the mental relaxation that we go through, everything that we encounter in life, well, it's our choice. Do we offer that back to God in consecration or do we keep it for ourselves? Do we use it for our own ends or do we enter into uh, this relationship, this dialogue uh, with God uh, that makes up our lives and invite him into that reality? Mm -hmm. uh, so that how Maximus says uh, we can consecrate the world to God, a world that is already good, is we receive this gift and then we respond. It's through our free responses um, that we uh, offer that back to God. Amen. Amen. So, so it's, <laughs> it's all gift. That's, it's, that's all where gift. We start. it's all gift. That, that's, that's, that's where we start. It's all gift and it's all given to us and, and we choose to respond to it. So, I'm thinking right now of the parable of the talents is uh, mm. what's coming to my mind. And that's a passage that I've reflected on a lot, truthfully, because it speaks a lot to gift and will and um, gift and, and response to the gift. And and the guy who gets thrown out into the, you know, where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth, he doesn't steal any of the master's money. I mean, that's right. the key of that story is that right. he does nothing wrong. He does nothing right. wrong. All he does is nothing. That's the issue mm. is that he does mm -hmm. nothing with the gift that's given to him. Exactly. And so like when we think about that, kind of bringing it back down to questions of discernment and and so even if we find ourselves in circumstances where where maybe there's competition with the gifts, you know, it's like, well, I, I feel like I have to choose my family or my ministry because mm -hmm. I can't continue working my ministry because I'm pursuing, because I have to be able to provide for my family's needs. Like there's an act of discernment that happens in that space where you say, yeah, my vocation is my family. My ministry is great. It's still my job. And so then I, I want to consecrate, you know, this. I want to consecrate both, but certainly I have to may have to let go of this, of the ministry, because I do need to work. And so so then when you go into the new job that hopefully pays a little bit more, even in that space, even if it's not overtly re religious, you still have the opportunity to bring virtue into the conversation. You still have the capacity to consecrate that space, to bring air into that space, and that it, it still is gift that's given to you. I mean, it's mm. a gift that God has given to you and your family, and the responsibilities you have to take care of them sometimes means that you're going to have to make sacrifices, or you may have to work in positions that you don't particularly care for, 
But because they're what is going to provide for their needs, God recognizes all of that. And the mystery of his providence is that in all of those circumstances, his grace and his and his goodness is still present. Absolutely. And just to riff off of what you said about the parable of the talents, this is something that really resonates with Maximus's thought because it's uh, there is an expectation for some sort of return, but you have to let your freedom act. Uh, so to introduce some technical terms Please. for Maximus the Confessor, he sees, uh, so uh, Christ is addressed in some places in the tradition as the Logos. So God's, um, God's word, um, also translated as God's will, um, and Maximus looks at that and he says, Christ presents himself in each of, to each of us in each of our situations as an individualized, personalized will for us. So Christ meets us as God's logos for us. Um, he um, uses the plural for that. So he calls it the logoi. Um, so in your life, Christ is present in a different manner than he is in my life because you have particular situations that you deal with. You have persons that you talk to. You have things that need to get done. So your dialogue with God, um, think about that word, dialogos, right? So you're, you, you have a conversation going on with the logos. Well, that's a conversation with God's will. It's God inviting you and you responding in particularity. So that's one side of things in that parable of the talents. So God offers them a gift, his logos, his will for them in their lives. And their response, Maximus would say, is how do they um, respond to that? Well, the response doesn't change the will of God. It doesn't change it, but it instantiates it in our own lives. It's how we respond to that will. And the, the, um, the technical word that he used for that is the tropos. So there is a mode or a manner in which we can respond to God's will in our life. So as God proposes and we respond, this dialogue continues. And no matter where we are in life, God desires to continue that conversation. And just to share uh, a quote that I think speaks into those particular situations, uh, you mentioned someone that maybe was in ministry and got called out of it to support their family, which is their, their vocation um, that they have discerned. Maximus shares this, and he shares it, uh, he really builds it up. He says, this is a mystery that is embedded into the fabric of the universe. He says, the Logos, who is God, wills always and in all things to accomplish the mystery of his embodiment. Hmm. So all of those dialogues, all those personal communications that we have with God, that daily give and take, okay, I am going to work. Okay, I'm going to the apostolic endeavor. Okay, I'm entering into this time of relaxation or I'm going through this hardship. That dialogue that's present there is an opportunity for God to become embodied, no matter where it is. Is it something that has to do with the church specifically? Does it have to do with serving the poor? Does it have to do with preserving God's creation? Great, it's a little easier for us to see. Does it have to do with long suffering with your crying child in the middle of the night. That is a moment where God's logos can be embodied in you. Does it have to do with staying an extra hour so that you can get a task accomplished because it's the job that you've discerned is good for you to provide for your family? That is a moment when the logos can be embodied. Does it have to do with staring at a screen full of numbers because you're doing finances for your position? Believe it or not, that is a moment where God's, the mystery of God can be embodied. He wants to be in everything. And the crazy thing, the thing that just makes me lie down, prostrate in prayer, is he wants to do that in us. He's chosen that way. He could do it all himself. He's given us that responsibility. What kind of God is this? He must be mad. <laughs> 
Yeah, the, the idea of Jesus doing my taxes just made me laugh, though, I'd have to say. <laughs> I'd have to tell you that. I wouldn't mind that, Lord. Come on, Lord, do my taxes for me. If you could. What's going on, everybody? This is Dr. Mario Sacasa taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Tony Marco just to encourage you to check out Dating Well. Listen, this whole conversation about holiness and discernment and finding God in the everyday circumstances of our lives. If you're enjoying this and finding this uplifting and insightful, then you're going to love Dating Well because that's exactly what we do. But we talk about it specifically in the context of dating and how to discern and assess all the ins and outs of dating to be able to see what does this actually have to do with my own path and journey towards becoming the saint that God wants me to be. So check out Dating Well by going to faithandmarriage.org. No, Tony, I mean, like, it. so this episode isn't going to be released today, obviously, but we're recording sure. it on the Feast of the Annunciation, which Absolutely. is the providential, I think. You know, when after it was after we set up the interview that I was like, oh, that's the Feast of the Annunciation. Like, we're going to have this great conversation about the mystery of the Incarnation Amen. on the Feast of the Annunciation. Because at the end of the day, that's what we're speaking about, is that Christ mm. came into the secular it's that the gift was given to us, creation was given to us at the beginning, for sure. Yes, be fruitful, multiply, till the earth. These are the initial commandments that God gives to us, not in that order specifically, but, but you know, sorry, you know what I'm saying? But like, sure. but then, but then he himself comes into that very fabric of creation and and elevates it and, and begins the process of redeeming it to its final end. And Absolutely. we, as baptized Christians, as, um, the, the the those heirs of his kingdom but but those image bearers of his goodness are are invited to then as we said we've been saying the whole time to take every aspect of our lives and to be able to unite it with his goodness and that just makes everything have such a different um, perspective to it you know when you Absolutely. can look at your spreadsheets not as something um uh, separate from the will of God, mm. but that the will of God is actually present there and could be present there though, because of your will and because of the dialogue that you have with God and the prayer mm. that you have with God. So you bring God into that because you pray to God to bring him into it. And that choice is ours, whether or not mm. we choose to bring God into the spreadsheets or not, or whether we choose to bring God into uh, the, the crying babies or not. Um, what right. you're saying is that it's a gift that's given to us, and so we reciprocate that gift precisely through our prayer, precisely through our conversations with God, through these dialogues of my will with his will. And that if over time, it's it's that that they become one, but they mm. become one not in some like template you know that's out there, but that it, our will becomes perfected um, as it eventually becomes you know the the will of God as well. Absolutely, and let me uh, expound on that a little bit more as well, Please. because when we see that dialogue happening, it's a manifestation of deification. Now, I want to tread lightly here um, because as Western Christians, we kind of have this like, perhaps people are curious about the term deification or perhaps they're a little frightened by it. So deification means becoming God and particularly what we're talking about is becoming God by participation, not, you know, our nature is not changed. We're still human. Um, especially Maximus is very clear on these things. He says that we live this life of God by participating in his divine nature. And it's no mistake that you mentioned um, the Feast of the Annunciation uh, because in the collect for that prayer, it actually mentions this. So at Mass, uh, during the Annunciation, we read, O God, who willed that your word should take on the reality of human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary, grant we pray that we who confess our Redeemer to be God and man may merit to become partakers even in his divine nature. Hmm. Wow. How provident that that was the collect for today, <laughs> exactly. right? Awesome. So uh, th this is an idea that comes from Scripture. So in Second um, Peter chapter one, it says that God desires to make us sharers in this divine nature. And it's an idea that was taken by the fathers of the church and developed and, and molded so that we don't 
you know, have to be uncomfortable with it. Uh, I had I had a colleague recently, and we were talking about the different things we were researching, and I was um, talking about the work that I was doing on trying to understand this concept. Uh, and he said, well, uh, I got to be honest, that, that term makes me a little uncomfortable because I'm so used to talking about things like salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what the church fathers talk about and, this and in is the east ir- the east and the east especially is, the word is very they're very comfortable using the term so but, right but and going. and um what Irenaeus of Lyon says is that the word of god who did through his transcendent love become what we are so that we can become what he is amen uh so this is something that as we go about in our days it might be like okay well i i, I want god to be present in this well, the reason that God can be present in your circumstances is because you are being transformed through your pursuit of, and I'll use the terms that we're more con- we're more comfortable with, holiness, sanctification, um, having our lives transformed and turned upside down by Christ. This is what deification is. It's participating in the life of God. And this isn't some strange mystical idea. This is what we're called to as Christians. The church fathers say, how do you, how are you deified? You're baptized. Mm-hmm. You receive the blessed sacrament. You know, that's how you live the very life of God in you. And it's not that, uh, you know, uh, I want to, uh, not poking at what you said, but I want to clarify. <laughs> it's not that, that it's not that Jesus is doing your taxes for you. <laughs> it's that the the Mario who is participating in the divine life of God is doing an activity with Christ. So here's another maxim maximus term. Okay, yeah, he talks about theandric activity. So he takes two words, Theos, so God, and Andros humanity, um, and he combines them together. He actually received this from um, an earlier thinker named Dionysius. But his, his, his favorite way of describing God's desire to live in us, um, an image that he uses uh, to describe this is he says, um, whenever you take a sword and you heat it to the point where, uh, let's I don't know if uh, people want to look up like uh, videos of like a blacksmith, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, a blacksmith, when he's forming the blade, heats the blade to be red hot. Um, at a certain point, if you take that blade out of the kiln where it's being heated, it's going to catch fire. It's going to be a, a sword that's on fire. Well, Maximus says that sword is like the combination of God and humanity because the sword can still cut, but it can also burn. It's taken on the property of fire and the fire has taken on the properties of the sword. So you have this new sort of activity that's happening. And it's not that, well, you're no longer who you are and God is no longer transcendent, but because you're in communion, because you are participating in God, God is now present in a new theandric way in the things that you do and you are now partaking in who he is and what you do. It's, again, what what is God thinking? Like, uh, <laughs> he wants to be present in every single thing that we do. Like, he he wants all of it. Well, it, I mean, it only makes sense if, if, if that's the end game, right? Is that right. everything everything eventually comes back to him. And Amen. that's the only way that it makes sense is that is, is through that lens. And... You know, as you were talking about, the, again, this term of deification, and, and I love this beautiful image that even you're speaking right now of, of kind of the sword that's being mold, that's being tempered, that's being created. You know, it's one with the fire, um, and as it cools, it takes on that new form, that new state that, that that's there. Um, that makes me think also of like the burning bush image, you know, mm. which is that it's fully consumed, yet it's not being harmed in any way. Like, it's, it's both and. And so this, of course, is what we see in Christ is the perfection of, 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 of the, it's a hypostatic union. It's the perfection of, of the, the human and divine, you know, together. Um, and reiterating that, that we're all called to that. And so Mm. again, sanctification, holiness, deification, we are becoming God. We are becoming like God. This is, this is where we're heading. We're heading to heaven. We're heading towards Mm. the Trinity and, 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 and movement in that. And so it, it means that we have to take a certain 
again, not be scrupulous, but have a certain reverence for for the time that God gives to us, and a certain reverence mm-hmm. for 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 the opportunities that 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 are before us, in in allowing us to be a little bit more open. You know, go back to the question I asked earlier: is how do we define the sacred from the secular? And it seems that like clearly, obviously, there are places where we have churches. We have the Holy Land. You know, God came to time and space. God is present in time and space, you know, through the Eucharist, that there are certain places where we need certain degrees of, of particular reverence. Mm. But at the same time, there's also something to be said about what we're speaking about, which is that because of because of the grace of my baptism, because of the grace of God who's who's shaping me and molding me, that that there's a, a unique way that I'm given to be able to to bring God's presence into this little circumstance or this right. little moment or this this little right. thing that's before me. And I think that the key for me there is is again our will, you know. Every mm. time I think about the spiritual life, I'm always reminded that it's it's not passive. It's not something mm. that that God just kind of bulldozes over us or puts it, it's like, you know, it's like uploading a new software, you know, to, to make the hardware act differently or something. It's, it's that there's, there, we have to engage with this. And so, right. you know, back to like the spreadsheets or, you know, that image, um, like you said, it's, it's that through my will, I can bring God into this experience and, and in doing so have a, a new way of being able to, in this time, in this space, in this location of being able to to represent the mystery of the incarnation in mm. this moment. Is, is, is that right? Mm. Absolutely. And to, to make present. Now, now, Mario, I want to point out the ramifications that this has for discernment, <laughs> Please. and particularly vocation. Uh, because what you've what you've just said about freedom, I think, is really powerful. Uh, and one image that I always like to use uh, with this is uh, my son has these toys uh, that are um, you can make pa- these uh, intricate paths for marbles to go down. Yeah, right? they're, they're awesome. So you, so you got to you got to spend like are these things easy to put together? They're hard to put together. They're hard to put together. They're really difficult to <laughs> yes. get working right. They right. Are. Yeah, so exactly. you have to set up every single piece intricately. Um, you might take a half hour, 45 minutes and then you push it down and the marble falls off. Well, so often this is how we think of discernment, isn't it? Yes. So God has set up this intricate path for every single one of us to go down. And this is this is seemingly a path without freedom, right? Because if we don't go straight down this path, if we mess up, if we fall off, well, then that's it. Well, this embracing of God in every individual moment yields some freedom to this process. And, and in the thought of Maximus, um, he uh, makes, uh, kind of thinks about this theologically and says, God's will for you knows all the possibilities of your life and how you respond in dialogue. God's going to continue that dialogue. You're not going to be a marble that falls off the track. And then God's just going to say, well, you're no good. You missed your opportunity. You can't glorify me anymore. In that, that I just dialogue, have to say, I'm sorry, that yeah. is very profound because I hear mm. that often in, in counseling, mm. often in my conversations with people, not even just counseling, but even in mentorship, but other, like I mean, people are terrified that that is in fact the case, mm. um, that mm. you're going to miss the mark, you're going to fall off the track and then that's it, you're done, you know, and there's no other chance. Well, Maximus's message is God's will, his providence is so strong that he will continue that dialogue. It's not about being a program, not running God's program. We're not we're not in a simulation. We're in a free exchange of love. And in that free exchange of love, God doesn't reject now now check this out. Because we respond to God's will and as you say return God's will, that consummation of Everything is when God becomes all in all, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what we hand back to God, it's not just what he handed to us. We're not handing back the talent that we just buried. We're handing something that we've touched. We've messed with it. We've thought it. We've written about it. We've engaged with it. We've loved it. We've sometimes wrecked it. We've Our freedom has impacted this thing. When we offer back to God what he's given us, it enters into eternity. 
Hmm. And what we when we consecrate the world back to God, it's got grubby human fingerprints on it. And that's the way God wants it. He wants us to dialogue with him, to struggle with him, to discern, but to exercise our freedom. And I don't know about you, but that brings me great joy because that means that the decisions that I make every day, they have real meaning. It's not just something that's going to burn out with the sun one day. You know, it's not something that's never going to matter. It's something that enters back into the mystery of God and is something that uh, he's the guarantor of it. We're not the guarantor of it. Um, but uh, these these responses that we have, um, no matter what our path is, now we're not talking about sin. That's not what we're talking obviously, about. Obviously, obviously. Yeah, let's, let's be yeah. clear. We're talking yeah. about the deified life here. We're Correct. talking about men and women pursuing holiness and staying in that conversation with God. Yeah. But he draws it back to himself. <laughs> so awesome, yeah. Tony. Amen. Amen, man. This is, this is good because, you know, and that, that quest obviously isn't just, that's not the laity. That's every, every Christian mm. vocation, Amen. you know, that, that, that does this process that we're speaking about. And I think what we're trying to communicate is it seems like that process seems easier for religious or seems easier for clergy just because it's so overt it's 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 mm. religious in nature it's um or for individuals um who are lay ministers it just seems like it's more overt and all right. we're proposing is that 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 process of bringing divine will into your life um and in 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 wrestling with it is particular to everybody. And so right. while it may not seem as obvious to the guy who um, is answering phone calls, um, you know, because that's what his job needs him to do, like you still have the opportunity to do that process. Absolutely, and, and uh, I, I've put a little bit of language on this. So Please. there are explicit offerings, right? So we go to mass, everyone, everyone has these in their life. Mm -hmm. um, your personal time of prayer every day, that's an explicit offering to God. Um, maybe that charitable work that you've taken on, um, you're serving the poor, you're helping out someone who's disabled that you can see. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe your job is, so your, your job as a counselor, um, mm -hmm. right? So that's very easy, as we've said, to connect to that consecration of the world to God. It's easy sure. to see where those lines line up. Mm -hmm. There are other things that the only time that we become conscious that they were consecrations is in reflection and prayer after the fact, right? So maybe you're in the moment and you haven't thought about anything holy at all. Um, you're just trying to get through something. Well, on, on account of this dynamic of theandric activity, um, one of the things that I'd like to propose is that without knowing it, we're making participative offerings. So fancy word there. It means that by coming into contact, by trying to live the life of God earnestly, it's not, it's not mental activity that makes these an offering, but it's our coming into contact with them and desiring to live a life of holiness. It's a decision that was made before you entered into that particular moment. Does that make sense? No. Um, the, okay. <laughs> define theandric might, activity. How about we go okay, back there? <laughs> okay. So let's go back there. Theandric activity was God and you living this life of dialogue together. Mm -hmm. um, so it's that sword and fire image, right? Yep. So um, you're able to act uh, divinely as God inhabits your uh, humanity. You're making your own um uh, you're you're living your own holiness in life. Uh, again, it, it might be right. easier to to frame it in a Western register of living living the life of holiness yeah, yeah. Um, every day. Um, you know, when you are sitting in front of the Excel sheet, it's not that you've you've got to concentrate on what's going on there, right? Um, it's not that you're like, okay, I'm going to say the rosary while I do this Excel sheet. Well, that's that. That's it. That might be overly pietistic. Yes. Um, and you probably wouldn't do the Excel And you wouldn't do well. You wouldn't do well. Wouldn't do well. But that doesn't make it any less of an offering. What I'm proposing is that by bringing in the realities that you have formed yourself with, you're making that action that you're currently doing into an offering. Now, you mm -hmm. might realize it later during prayer. Right. But it's not something – it's not about – oh, this is what I'm conscious of. Because every, if everybody did that, went around thinking that way all the time, well, then we'd have a very limited set of things that are consecrated. But that mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be what the church is inviting us to. Uh, 
Well, I also don't think we can have that level of attention all the time either. Exactly. You know? Like we just exactly. can't have that level of focus every moment. It's like, you know, sometimes I say this even with like dating, like sometimes people get so caught up and they're like, you know, for all time and eternity, is this the person that God's calling me to marry? You know, it's like, you can't go into first date with that level of heaviness. Yes. Like it's like that level of gravity is, is, is way too much. And so, so we're not, I'm not proposing that at all, you know, that you can't right. always have that, that level of, of awareness all the time. It's like, you just live your life. <laughs> right. Right. Like, and then do the things you're supposed to do. Again, we're not talking about being sinful. Obviously stay within the bounds of the commandments, do the right. work that God's calling you to do. And then at the end of the day, or when you're reflecting on the experiences, being able to be reminded that like, Hey, like God was present there. God Absolutely. was, God, God was in that. Absolutely. Mario, I'd, I'd like to um, address something that I can, I can just feel welling up in maybe some listeners. Sure. And that is, all right, I'm doing everything that they're talking about. You know, like I'm living my life. Like, why aren't things better? <laughs> that's a, why that's aren't the real question of this podcast, Tony. So, so right? that's the always so, so message. <laughs> why, why aren't things better? Why aren't things easy? Um, mm -hmm. Well, I'd like, to, I'd like to steer us back toward Lumen Gentium 34 and the things that it says we're called to offer to God. Now, this, this is not a uh, list of things that, oh, well, only, only these weak, sinful people are to offer to God. This is the lay vocation. The lay vocation is that we're supposed to offer our work, our prayer, our apostolic endeavors, our ordinary married and family life, our daily occupations, our physical and mental relaxation, and even our hardship. We're supposed to offer all those things to God. Why do we still have those things? Why don't they look different? Well, um, if you would let me go down the rabbit hole a little bit here, go ahead. Um, there's uh, uh, something that really caught my eye a number of years ago. Um, I think it was about 2013 or so. It was a, a year or so after Benedict. Uh, yeah, Benedict had retired and um, Pope Francis had become Pope. Um, pope Benedict was uh, spoke publicly, and that's not something that he, he does normally, right? Um, so it, it really caught my attention. And it was the, um, I think something like the 50th anniversary of his priesthood. And there, there were people that were having a celebration for him and he, and he spoke uh, at this gathering. And he said, at the end of a short speech, he said that he hoped that all the world would participate in the transubstantiation of the world. Hmm. And that really caught my attention uh, because I was already studying this idea of consecration of the world and things like that. And obviously the idea of transubstantiation, I mean, it squares with um, consolation, right? right. Uh, um, consecration. Uh, consecration. Consecration. Well, well, when you talked about parentheses, hold your thought. Earlier yeah. we were talking about our grubby human hands, you know, being all over it and messing things up. You know, not just messing those, but, but, but our fingerprints are on there. Immediately, was thinking of the Eucharist and the priest who actually has to hold it, and it's right. the fruit of the work. I mean, it's not just wheat; it's bread. It's not just mm. grapes; it's wine. Like it's got to mm. be processed through human hands to then be given into the mass, like to be transformed. Like it's, it has to go through the process of humans right. touching it and messing with it for it to actually be in this proper state to then be consecrated. So Absolutely. Keep, keep and going. That, <laughs> that's part of Maximus's point here, right? So uh, God didn't choose that just because there wasn't anything else that was there. He He chooses, chooses that for a reason. Human activity, and this this is, I'll get back to um, Benedict in a second. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but I think I think we all need to hear this. Human activity is good. Yeah, amen. You know, like it's not it's not a God replacing me. It's God working in and with me yep. um, because humanity is good. And that's the message of the incarnation. Um, so Benedict says he hopes that everyone will participate in the transubstantiation of the world. Well, we think about that for uh, a second. Why is the technical term transubstantiation used in reference to the Eucharist? Well, it's because those things that you just described that are offered, when we look at them before and after they're consecrated, they look the same. Yep. The, the substance is different. We know the reality behind them has become the body and blood of Christ, but they look exactly the same as they did 20 seconds before the priest said the words of consecration. Well, let's take that 
into the realm of those things that the laity are to offer to God. This is not a promise that your life is going to get easier. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is the promise that you will live your life with God in what goes on. So again, the like what why do the question becomes why do things look the same? Like I'm trying to live a holy life. Why do I still have um, things in my life that I wish weren't there. Now, again, we're not talking about sin. Like that's mm-hmm. that's that's a, a completely different register. Um, why do we still have to work in this mundane job? Why do I still struggle with prayer? Why do I still have to undergo these hardships? God never promised to take them away. In fact, the whole idea of consecration, that joining of our life to a life of God is not a task that we can ever say, I'm done, I'm finished. This is something that brings us, as you said, into eternity. So we can't look at it as something that is finished. The fire in this analogy, the sword never leaves the fire. Hmm. You Hmm. never want to be separated from that activity in God. So this offering of works, prayers, apostolic endeavors, normal life, relaxation, hardship. If the only end in that is in eternity, what is going on is that dialogue is continuing. Well, we I don't mean, put but, a stop to that. No, no, no. But I think what you're what you're putting your finger on is beautiful. If we look at the Eucharist as an, I don't know if say analogy, that might be the wrong word, but as a kind of, a comparison point because obviously we're not saying that like I can I'm that me consecrating my uh, my spreadsheet is the same thing as the priest consecrating. Oh, absolutely not. You know the the we're not we're absolutely not, we're, not. See, priests doing the same thing. We're not saying it's clarification. Yeah, we're not saying that at all. But what we are saying is, and what Benedict's saying is that we have the capacity to to transubstantiate our experiences in a particular way that mm. the Eucharist gives us an, a window or a lens of being able to understand how we can do that. And what that's, what you're saying, which is really beautiful and profound, is that the substance, the, the, the context may be exactly the same, mm-hmm. but it's the it's what's happening behind the scenes, so to speak. It's mm-hmm. it's the the form of it, actually. There's something more profound that's happening, that even though the bread is, looks exactly the same before and after, we know through the lens of faith that something has absolutely right. taken, something miraculous has taken place there. And so by, again, by comparison, by analogy, I'm not sure what the right word is here, that we're able to then look at our circumstances through that same lens of faith and be able to say that even though the circumstances might be the same, it's the way that we, the, but but by bringing God into us, it's changing, not just the attitudes changing, but that our, not, like you said, not just mentally and emotionally, but spiritually something new mm-hmm. is transforming, is transpiring in this as well. And the stories for me that, I'd say Great Solison or somebody like uh, Walter Chiswick, who I talk about often on the show, you know, the priest who was in the gulags, you know, for mm. 25 years under false pretense. And, and, and you look at a guy like that who could consecrate the gulags and consecrate solitary confinement, you know. And yes, mm. it's because he's yes, he's a priest and he can do that. But but what but any of us can take those circumstances. And then even if the substance, so to speak, is the same, we can still transubstantiate it um, and bring it back to the Lord. And that is how we consecrate the world. And that Amen. is just blowing my mind, Tony. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, it's 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 a beautiful thing to think about. Now, it it really has to do with those eyes of faith, like you said. And I, I would hold the Eucharist up as an example or a pattern that we're to follow. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, Christ says, do as I have done. Um, well, we lay people aren't able to consecrate in that sacramental way. You know, this is a qualitatively different thing that we're doing. Yep. Um, but we're doing what that transubstantiation, the, the whole reason God lives his life in us is to be brought out into these these circumstances so that we might consecrate. Um, and uh, no, it, it is just beautiful. And it's something that, uh, when, again, when I think about it, I say, who might even think about this stuff? 
you know, like this is such. Well, I, I, as I'm, I'm, what I'm feeling right now, processing kind of in the moment, I, you know, I am a therapist here. So, you know, what I'm feeling at least is just kind of a reminder of, of, of the privilege of every moment mm. and, and the Amen. privilege of, 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 um, um, of time and the mm. gift that we have in being able to, um, to give God glory um, in, in, in every circumstance and in every situation. And the, the gift that every one of us has our own unique set of circumstances where God has invited us to be able to give him glory. Mm. And, and, that, um, and that he wills that for us for our benefit, but for also the benefit of those circumstances that 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 we are that we are present in. Absolutely, and I I'm going to say this for myself as much for anyone else, but we can't be afraid of our particularity. Hmm. Um, we can't be so drawn into, oh well, who's the big name you know on social media right now? Who's doing the work that I wish I could be doing, or. Hmm. Um, what is a way that I could uh, get out there or, or something, you know, you know, just the draw of the age is attention, right? How can I get people's attention? Well, you have God's attention and you have him, his very presence in your very limited particular circumstances. And that's where the mystery of God desires to be embodied. Uh, and uh, again, to be a human vessel of that uh, a fallible you know small human vessel entrusted with the divine is just mind-blowing um but i would say don't let's not be afraid of our particularity in our particular circumstances because that is where our to use that maximian term our logoi are embedded god's will for us are embedded there um not to be distracted uh and to go off into some other direction Amen. Okay, Tony. Well, <laughs> <laughs> praise the Lord. Uh, it's good to be reminded uh, that uh, celebrity is not the same thing as holiness. Mm, um, it's good to be reminded um, that uh, the number of people you have who follow you on Instagram is is not an indication of your worth or wealth. Amen. Um, and that, as you said, uh, God has our attention. Um, and mm. do we have his, <laughs> you know, um, or, or, or the other way around. I don't know if I didn't Dude, say that right. Does he have our attention? That's fine. Does he have our attention? Do you want to say it again? <laughs> no, it's our editors. <laughs> Cut it out. We'll take two. <laughs> I'm just joking. It's fine. <laughs> um, Amen. So praise the Lord, Tony. Well, uh, this has been very encouraging and, um, and delightful just to be reminded, uh, of the sacred mysteries that are present with us every day. And, um, that, Time changes, circumstances change in our life, seasons come and go, um, but that the constant is certainly that that Christ is present with us and that in each of those seasons, in each of those moments, in each of those particularities, uh, that we have the opportunity to bring his presence into everything that he invites us to over the course of our life. So, Tony, if people have been enjoying this and I know you, uh, you know, how, how, how can they get a hold of you if you have anybody has any questions for you specifically, uh, what, what, what can they do? So there's uh, a, a a blog that I probably should resurrect at some point. Mm -hmm. um, if you, it's a WordPress press blog. It's called Seldom, Always, Never, and I named it that way because I knew when I started it that one of three things would happen. Um, it actually is a, a something that's taken from uh, uh, something that St. Thomas said, um, but I use it this way. I say this will be seldom updated. It'll always be updated or it will never be updated. Well, <laughs> different seasons have done other, other things. So if you search for seldom, always, never um, on WordPress or type my name into some Google search engine, I should I should come up that way. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. So we'll, that sounds we'll, good. We'll, That's we'll a good idea. For people. It's always funny asking that question on the heels of us talking about not needing it, you know, attention. When we're talking sure, about drawing right. attention, there's always the irony right. in it, which is I've settled on it's, it's like, again, 
God calls us to different things. And, uh, right. and we still, you know, obviously, like if we have some ideas and thoughts that we want to share and other people to come in contact with, we're just sharing it. Perfect. That's it. So anyways, but anyway, absolutely. Well, funny, you know? well <laughs> it's, it's, I, 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 me, at, at the same time, I don't feel guilty about that because um, someone uh, wise that we both know once told me um, everything that I'm given is for someone else. Uh, and I um, am, uh, you know, this stuff needs to be out there. It's not mine. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to hand it on. I don't do it for myself. Amen. Uh, so yeah. Amen. just like this show. So praise the Lord. Amen. All right, Tony, final question. Ask all my first time guests on the always hope podcast. What gives you hope? Uh, well, what gives me hope, uh, are my smiling children who are generous with me. Uh, my wife who does the same, but more appropriate to our conversation today, the knowledge that no matter what I'm going through, I can turn to the Lord and he is going to be there with me no matter whether it's hardship or joy, um, knowing that he is there and to be able to say uh, to all my brothers and sisters, he's with you too. Amen. That brings me hope. That brings me hope too. Thanks, Tony, for sharing all this. This was wonderful. I appreciate it. Absolutely. No, this has been great. Amen. God bless you. You too. All right, everybody. Well, that does it for today's episode. I pray that you have enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Tony Marco. Man, the guy is a genius and just brings such rich insight into seeing our lives with this lens of kind of transubstantiating the circumstances to to bring God into everything that we experience. That even if the the particular context don't change, uh, that we know that God is in that, and that's what changes everything. So praying for you all. God bless you all. Thank you for giving me your time. As always, I'm grateful for my audience. And please know that we pray for you uh, regularly. And I hope that you're having a wonderful, wonderful day. God bless everybody. Be good. Mm -hmm.